from my earliest days uh, on this earth that I can remember. Now, uh, you know, there were dinosaurs and, uh, and others roaming the earth. No, it wasn't quite that long ago. But uh, I, I had an insatiable desire <clears throat> to know things and to know about God, how this relationship thing with God worked. Uh, and in my earliest days as a child, uh, one of the earliest memories I have, even before I was worried about how God worked, is, and mom and dad will correct me if I'm wrong, uh, that uh, because they watch us and join us online, uh, that in, in my early childhood days, we were at, I want to say we could have been at a carnival, but I want to say we were at Pembroke Mall. And there was a merry-go-round. And I was riding the merry-go-round. And my whole focus was not on riding the merry-go-round, but understanding how the merry-go-round worked. I stared up at the upper uh, echelons where all of the wires go up and down and up and down. And it's very mechanical and very cool how that works. And I carried that into my whole relationship with God. As a small child, I thought if I memorized enough information about God, enough stories, enough answers. I once had uh, my sixth grade Sunday school teacher, I've told this story before, Preston Bassknife. I would never call him Preston. My parents referred to him as Preston. I still call him Mr. Bassknife. I don't care if I'm 59 and he's a couple of years older than that. He will always be Mr. Bassknife to me. He taught my sixth grade Sunday school class and I knew the answer to every question that he gave. From every biblical question that he asked, I could tell the answer. Uh, and eventually he said, Jamie, because that's what Mr. Bass Knight called me, and everyone in my home church as I was growing up called me, because my parents called me that. He said, Jamie, other people have to have some answers to these questions too. Well, I'd like to tell you that, that in, well, I did stop interrupting people with answers, at, at least somewhere in the last 59 years. I don't know exactly where, but it stopped. But the insatiable desire for the right answers never quite went away, at least until the last four or five years, because I came to realize it wasn't as much about the right answers as practicing loving God and my neighbor, that that's what it all boiled down to. Now, I also have spent a lot of time in my life reflecting on who this Jesus guy is. Because as Christians, that's the key player. God is the key player, I get it. But Jesus taught us a path to follow, in, to follow God, what it might look like for us as people to follow God. And so it seemed like to me, if I was going to get that path right, the one to study is Jesus. Now, I have to tell you, I made some assumptions about Jesus, and this morning, God sort of blindsided me between the eyes with a different thought. I, I, I have expressed to God my uh, discontent with the revelation of new information to me or new ways of seeing on the same morning I'm going to preach. I just want you to know I've chatted with God about this. If you could reveal this information to me like Monday afternoon and I could work with it all week long, I would feel a lot better. 
And apparently, either God isn't listening to me, God gets a big kick out of seeing my discomfort, uh, or perhaps more likely, God loves me, but this is the way my little tiny brain works in the midst of trying to love and serve God. So this morning, I'm going to be reading to you a passage about Jesus in the wilderness. Uh, and then I'm going to share with you a moment of clarity I got, and then what I see this passage teaching us about who Jesus is. Now, part of the reason I chose this passage, I will say this one last uh, preliminary piece, Part of the reason I chose this passage is because we are now in the 40-day uh, period called in the United Method, well, called in the Christian church Lent. It's from the Middle English word that means to lengthen because the days are getting longer. Uh, if you've seen any of my uh, uh, videos, you know that that's why and what. But if you haven't, that's why. It's called Lent. It's 40 days from Ash Wednesday. Uh, until Easter, not including the Sundays, because every Sunday is a celebration of the resurrection. So you only get six days a week of Lent, and then Sunday is the seventh day, the Sabbath, uh, for us. And so let me read you this story from Luke. Jesus has been baptized. This is early in his ministry. And uh, this is why we've modeled Lent the way we have when Jesus is driven into the wilderness. Jesus returned from the Jordan after his baptism. Jordan is the river. Uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, and she led him into the desert for 40 days, where he was tempted by the adversary. Jesus ate nothing during that time, at the end of which he was famished. The, the adversary said to Jesus, if you are God's own, command the stone to turn into bread. Jesus answers, Scripture has it, we don't live on bread alone. Then the adversary took Jesus up higher and showed him all the nations and the world in a single instant. The adversary said, I'll give you all the power and glory of these nations. The power has been given to me and I can give it to whomever I wish. Bow down before me, uh, in homage before me, and it will all be yours. In reply, Jesus said, Scripture has it, you will worship the Most High God. God alone will you adore. Then the adversary led Jesus to Jerusalem, set him up on a parapet of the temple, high above the square, and said, if you are God's own, throw yourself down from here, for scripture has it, God will tell the angels to take care of you and their hands will support you that you may never stumble on a stone. Jesus said to the adversary in reply, it also says, do not put God to the test. When the adversary had finished all this tempting, Jesus was left alone. The adversary awaited another opportunity. This is the gospel of the Lord for this morning. Praise be to God. One of the things I, I think I've always made as an assumption about this Jesus guy is he arrived fully ready to do whatever he needed to do. That he inherited all that he needed. At birth, the, bo the boy was born. Uh, 
And it was fully formed. He was fully formed. He was ready to be uh, who he was supposed to be. And yet, it occurred to me this morning as I was sitting in my chair, uh, after I had finished my time of silence and meditation, sitting with all the texts and the like, that if Jesus had arrived fully formed, why didn't he start preaching as an infant, teach everything, everything he needed to know, and, uh, and then, you know, be crucified and end it all? Why did it take him until he was 30 years old? If he arrived fully formed, why did he wait to start? And so late in life. You know, it doesn't sound very late to most of us. Uh, 30 sounds, you know, kind of young. If you're me, you sound really young, like a whippersnapper. But uh, uh, 30 was fairly old for his time. Why did it take him 30 years to start doing his work? What was that all about? Well, what I came to realize is nothing about who Jesus was was handed to him on a silver platter. That in order to be and to follow after God the way he wanted to teach us, he had to figure out and model himself as a human being what it would look like to do that. You think that Jesus walked into a room and said whatever he wanted to say, and it just rolled off of him like no business. Except if you read between the lines in the scripture, every single morning he went out by himself to pray, to allow himself to be shaped by God, to allow the message in him to be shaped by God. If it was all handed to him on a silver platter, why did he need to go into the wilderness? and spend 40 days and 40 nights in preparation, a long time. Why did he have to spend so long in preparation? Why did he need to prepare at all? Didn't eternity prepare him after all? I mean, he'd been around since the beginning. Well, he modeled something for us that only became clear to me this morning, and that is nobody can just hand you a story and you just go and live it. There's work involved. Being the Son of God is hard work. That's what Jesus' life looks like. It's so much hard work that in order to figure out who he was and what mattered and what didn't, he went into the wilderness and fasted for 40 days and 40 nights for a long time. Now, I want to tell you that most of my Christian life, I wanted God to give me clarity, but you know what I wanted? I wanted to sit quietly in my chair and for God to hand me a piece of paper. Don't ask me to fast. Don't ask me to pray. Don't ask me to meditate. Don't ask me to read scripture. I just want you to hand it to me. That's not what Jesus modeled. We want to worship Jesus without following him. And you know what that means? We put him up on a nice pedestal. We get a nice little cross. It looks exactly like this one here. And we just say, what a nice little boy. We, we love that little cross. Isn't it great? He hung on it. But I don't have to be like that. I don't have to hang on a cross. I don't have to do the tough work of it. All I have to do is worship Jesus. And that's enough. The challenge is, I think we've gotten a little bit too focused on the worship of Jesus and completely forgotten about the following of Jesus. We've completely forgotten that in order to get closer to God, we have to practice. Practice. 
We have to practice silence. We have to practice listening. Let me just tell you, I am so busy talking sometimes, I can't hear anybody, let alone God. Can't even hear myself. Because oftentimes it's the idle, nervous chatter of my brain that just goes on and on and on and on. I would like to tell you a magical truth about my daily, mostly twice daily, 20-minute centering prayer sit, where I try to release my thoughts. If I get two or three seconds of released thoughts in those 40 minutes a day I sit, it's almost a miracle. And quite frankly, most days I don't even get two or three seconds before my chattering brain, what our Buddhist siblings would call monkey mind, just starts dancing all over. I get clear just long enough for a new thought to come up. I get clear just long enough for a new thought to come up. I get clear just long enough for a new thought to come up. It is hard work to be me. To be the me God made me to be. Not the me I've been told I'm supposed to be. Not the me that the United Methodist Church gives me three pages of description of exactly what pastors are supposed to do. Not the me that my, even my lovely parents told me that I could be, or my teachers, or my peers, or other colleagues, or my wife, or my children. I must be the James, the me, that God made me to be. But in order to do that, I have to listen. And it's hard work and have to practice. Jesus spent a long time in fasting in the wilderness. You know, when I was in my 20s, I decided I was going to take up fasting. I was serving as the pastor for the first time. I had been an associate pastor for two years in Charlottesville while I was finishing up my undergraduate degree at UVA, the associate pastor at a church in downtown Charlottesville, Hinton Avenue. But then when I went off to seminary, my district superintendent talked with a friend of his who was a district superintendent in Georgia and worked out a deal for me to be the pastor of four little churches in Georgia, Vanna, Bowman, Stinchcomb, and New Harmony, named for locations or for, you know, things that they wanted to try to bring out um, in, in the way that they lived and who that they were. And so as I was there during that time, I decided, you know, I was living alone, I was in this great big parsonage uh, by myself, and my office was in the front of the parsonage. And I would go and sit in that office, and I decided I would take up fasting. If it worked for Jesus, it would work for me. So I would go hungry. I tried that starvation thing. I read a book about fasting. I tried it all out because I was sure there was some magic in it. There isn't any magic in it. It has to be an intentional practice in which you give yourself over to God. And I'm convinced that's what Jesus did because Jesus knew it wasn't going to be handed to him to be the son of God on a silver platter. He was going to have to practice and live into it. He was going to have to live into what it meant to be Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, the Christ. He was going to have to practice and work on it so that he'd be prepared when people uh, 
question him, not because they were interested in his answers, but because they wanted to trap him in the wrong answers. He had to be prepared for those moments. He had to take a step back to realize who he was. When he was in the wilderness, he learned three important lessons. The first, he was tempted he was tempted to turn stones into bread in order to survive. Jesus knew that life has got to be more than survival. Life has got to be more than survival and security. Most of us would like to walk around and be able to, you know, if I get hungry, I just pick up a rock, touch it, turn it into some bread, eat it. Only for me, I don't know if bread would be enough. I, you know, I want to turn it into a Twinkie uh, or perhaps a chocolate chip cookie or really for me, as my wife would tell you, into a bowl of oatmeal. Although if I picked up a rock and turned it into a bowl, it would have to include the bowl. It couldn't just be oatmeal because oatmeal, if you've ever had it in your hand, it would just drip out. You know, I don't usually carry oatmeal in my hand and put it in a bowl. But I, Jesus had to learn it was more life itself is not about surviving. It's not about having security. It's about being willing to give yourself away. We spend a lot of our time in this world trying to figure out how to thrive, how to live, how to have security. And we imagine that security that we can buy security with bigger locks and bigger houses and faster cars and smarter computers and more friends and more money and more titles and all that kind of stuff. None of those things are secure. You can lose them overnight. The only thing that is secure in our lives is our sense of connection to the eternal. That is all that is permanent for us. I've got bad news for all of us. No matter how long we live, we will not survive physically in this form forever. Eventually, it's over. If that's news for you, I'm sorry. Actually, I'm not. It's a good thing to check in on. Survival is not all that life's about, Jesus. It's as if God rec Jesus recognizes that life has got to be more than focusing exclusively on surviving and having security. Next, the adversary offers Jesus all the power and control he wants. Power and control. How much I yearn, I don't know about the power part, but control. I would just like to control a few things. Okay, let's be honest. I want to control everything. I would like to be able to snap my fingers and have things go the way I want them to. I'd like to be able to plan how long uh, it's going to take me to make oatmeal for breakfast in the morning. How long my pour-over coffee is going to take to be dripping. I've got to watch it and be patient. Drip, drip, drip. Then I've got to pour more hot water on it. Drip, drip, drip. More water. I want to be able to control those things. And those are just the little things. I want to control whether I buy the right log nuts for my new car. New to me, used car. Only I didn't. I bought the wrong ones. And then Costco tried to put them on. And that was a mistake, too. And now I had to get new lug nuts. It was an adventure. Life is an adventure. I would like to control how everything works. That's what I would like. 
I would like to control that everyone's happy and everyone has food and every, I would like to control everything. I often say, God, the world would be so much of a better place if you just give me a control. And I'm convinced probably all of you are convinced of the same thing. God, if you want a better world, just give me control. I'll take charge. Everything will be right. Putin will be back in his place. <laughs> Whatever. We imagine we can manage the whole thing. We imagine power and control are something to seek after. And yet, what does Jesus say? No. I don't want power and control. Not that way. I refuse to bow down to you so that I can have whatever power and control I imagined I could have. Power and control is not all that. So Jesus says no. So now he said no to survival and security. He said no to power and control. Okay, let's try something else. Something that's near and dear to all of our hearts. Takes him up. Says, just jump off this thing because God loves you so much. The promise of the Bible is that God loves you so much, God won't even let your foot stumble. You won't even stumble on a stone. We all want affection and esteem. And I can only imagine Jesus being fully human like all of us would like people to really like him too. To have affection and esteem. But it's not worth it to test God for affection and esteem nor our neighbors. And if we're seeking after affection and esteem, we're seeking after the wrong things. Because let me just tell you what. One thing I've learned in my 30 years as the pastor of St. James, almost 30 years, is that sometimes I'm going to do things people are going to like. Everyone's going to like me, man. That was the best sermon you've ever preached, James. It was as if Jesus came down again and he was talking through you. There are going to be some Sundays when I say the hard things, when I don't hear a word. I don't hear a word, not a pin drop. I look out in the congregation, and the fortunate thing that's changed a little bit since we've changed our lighting situation is I can't see all of your eyes. But when I can see all of your eyes, when I used to be able to see everybody's eyes, you know, you'd get that deer-in-the-headlight look. Oh, my gosh. What is James talking about? I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. I don't hear anything. In the end, if I make this job that I do all about your affection and esteem, I'm not going to serve God. I'm going to serve me. And in the end, I'm not even really serving me. I'm serving you. And guess what? All of you, including me, are so fickle that one Sunday, what, if, what makes you happy will not make you happy next Sunday. I've learned that too. So if all I did was seek after affection and esteem, as most of us do in our lives, we'd like people to like us, pat us on the back, be our best friends. But if that's what we seek after, it's empty. So when the adversary offers that to Jesus, Jesus says, no. It's not worth it to sell out to get everybody to like me even to get God to prove that God likes me because God already does. How many times have I told you that God already knows you're infinitely precious and unconditionally loved? There's nothing fickle about that. Sorry, finding the words sometimes is wander around in my head. And after a hour less sleep last night, 
lucky I'm even speaking English. Jesus teaches us these important lessons. It's not about security and survival. It is not about power and control. And it's not about affection and esteem. Three of the energies that we invest most of our lives in, getting one of those three things. The welcoming practice in, uh, that's taught by the same people that teach Centering Prayer invites us to let go of those. To let go. Can you let go of your desire for survival and security? Now, of course, we want you to survive. But when you place that above all else, you'll do anything to survive, including sell your soul, including treat your neighbor like they don't matter. If you imagine they threaten your survival, you will tell whoever they are they're not welcome in your life. That's how our politicians work. They convince us that somebody, if they come, whoever they are, if they get here, we won't survive. So, of course, if you question my survival, I'm going to push them away. If those people come here, you'll lose control. All right. I don't want to lose control. Keep them away. I want to continue to have the illusion that I'm in control. And that's what it is, an illusion, by the way. I want everybody to like me. And everybody else seems to dislike those people, so I want everyone else to like me, so in order to keep them liking me, I'm going to pretend like I dislike those people too, and eventually it's not a pretense anymore. It's a reality. It is challenging to be followers of Jesus in this world in which we live. It was challenging to be Jesus in this world. So I want to invite you and me to imagine no longer focusing our whole lives on worshiping Jesus and instead seek to follow him by practicing the same practices he did. I'm not telling you to go in the wilderness for 40 days and don't eat and drink anything because that would probably kill most of us. I am saying practice prayer. Practice patience. Practice meditation. Practice studying the Bible. Practice listening for God in your everyday life. Practice the things that will bring you closer because worship is a momentary way of bringing yourself closer to God. And that's good. Keep worshiping, but don't do it exclusively. Follow God every way you possibly can so that your voice, yourself, the person you were made to be can reflect God back to the world the way it was meant to be reflected by you. And heck, if what I've said to you doesn't make any sense and you think it doesn't reflect God, trash it. Trash it. But if it rings true somewhere deep inside of you, Try to practice it. Try to live it. Jesus had to practice being the Son of God in order to live it. I suspect we have to practice love and following Jesus if we want to live like Jesus. One of the things we do every week at St. James is pray. We don't have any special prayer requests. 
I mentioned two sort of in our time of intention. I have two prayer requests. I'm going to make it three. One, the people of the Ukraine. This is a terrible, challenging time. I want us to pray for Megan and James and Galen as they journey on and take whatever the next step is for them. And they're not even completely clear what that is. They just know they've been called out. They know they've been called out. They've discerned they've been called out. So I want to pray God's hand will be upon them as it has been and will guide them wherever they need to be. At the same time, I'm praying for God's hand to be on them to guide them. As a congregation here at the West End, St. James, um, I, I want us to pray that God will lead us into understanding more about who we're meant to be as the pandemic begins to resolve, doesn't resolve, will it ever resolve, is it permanent? I don't know. As it changes, as worship changes a little bit, because um, we can't just replace Megan and James uh, so easily. We have to discern what it is God wants for us. There'll never be another James or Megan or Galen. They have to be themselves. And we have to figure out Without Megan, James, and Galen, what does worship look like? What does our community look like as it changes? And so I want us to pray for discernment into the future, trusting that God will show us the way. So we'll begin in a moment of silence. I'll pray out loud, and then we'll pray the Lord's Prayer together. Could we enter into a moment of silence? Gracious and loving God, you love us more than we can imagine. You love us unconditionally. You don't love us because we practice. You love us anyway. But you invite us to deepen our relationship to you by practicing and worshiping. Not just worshiping, not just practicing, but practicing and worshiping. We pray that you'll guide us as we seek to be the people you're calling us to be, that you will remind us the echoing voice deep within that teaches us who we are, your voice that calls out from the very core of ourselves, from our hearts. We pray for the people of Ukraine. We cannot even begin to imagine what it's like to live there now the constant threat of violence, and not just the threat, but the reality of violence in everyday life that does not seek or spare anyone. Small children, adults, soldiers, non-combatants, they are all targets. We pray, O oh God, for those people, our siblings in Ukraine. We pray for Megan, James, and Galen as they discern their way forward, as they launch out in faith, 
and we trust that you'll show them the way. We have no doubts. Okay, maybe we have a few doubts because that's the way life is. There's always a few doubts somewhere. But we put them in your hands because we have learned that if we've learned nothing else, your love is true always. Be present with them and guide them. And as a community of faith here at St. James, online and in person, we pray that you will guide our footsteps forward as we try to reflect your goodness uh, with the changing reality in our world and changing reality for us. Uh, how exactly we can be the people you're calling us to be. That's all we want. Help us to follow the path Jesus showed us. Help us to practice and worship, to not take anything for granted, to imagine it's going to be handed to us on a silver platter, to trust and to give ourselves over to you knowing that you will guide us. We ask all of this in the precious name of Jesus, your son, the same Jesus who modeled a prayer for all his disciples to use. And we use that prayer now saying, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen.